Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. You are not bigger than your body. We have limitations that we face. Even when we think that we can do anything, we're always constrained by our physical bodies. What happens, though, when our bodies fail us? Jessica has always used her platform care for others. As Miss Florida, she used her role to focus on those most often ignored. As a nonprofit leader, she brings awareness to issues involving human trafficking as well as mental health. Along the way, she began to suffer from crippling migraines and seizures. She went to the doctor only to discover that they had no idea what was causing her pain. Today, I am joined by Jessica Minhas, the founder and CEO of Algo First and the host of of the I'll Go First podcast. Jessica, you and I were talking earlier, and we both realized that our friendship could have had a baby. Yeah, our friendship is an adult now. Yeah, we've been friends for a long time. And it wouldn't have been weird for this friendship to have had a baby because it's like fully an adult. Yeah, it's it's able to consent to have a child. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. our friendship can choose to co- have a child. Yeah, it's in college. It's almost finished with college. Yeah. We're really millennials. It's okay, though. I'm okay with it. We met in a hilarious way. For those of you who do not know, Jessica and I met on a double date. And when we met, we connected and we went to the same school, had the same major, were from the same geographic region. But while we were connecting, our dates were connecting. Yes, our long-term partners were really vibing. And now they are married. Yep. They're married. Beautiful children. Yes, they they were not. Yeah, they were. I remember um, my then boyfriend was upset with me when I said, I really think you should marry your BFF. I think that you guys would be great together. And they are. They're amazing. We're super excited for them. (laughs) But that is the soil in which our friendship grew. It's pretty funny now. It's been so long looking back on that. And then you came here to New York City. Because you told me to. I did. I did. You came to visit with a bunch of students and I was like, I think that you're more fitted for New York City. And you were right. Thank you. You were. I know it's probably good to hear it. it really that, is. that felt like you're like, ooh. It's good to hear from you. I know. And here you admit it. Yeah, I know. We have a very we have a very <laughs> cheeky friendship, which I very much appreciate. <laughs> well, because we're friends, when you started having these migraines and these seizures, I remember being nervous for you because it was a scary time. You didn't know where to go because everyone you were going to didn't really have an idea of what was going on. What did you do next? How did you start to figure out what you were experiencing? I think that's the tough thing with any head-related illness. It's really hard to articulate because you're the person. You're having the experience of it, and it's not like you can be like, oh, my arm is hurt. Do you see how it is? Because if it's not your head, then you still have the faculty to deal with it, the complication of pursuing healthcare. But because it's your brain that's malfunctioning, it makes it even harder. I happen to be in a graduate program exploring neuropsychology and how neuropsychology uh, interacts with trauma. And I came across a lot of research that talked about how ADHD and trauma-related experiences mimic one another, like the symptomology overlaps. And so I was like, oh, maybe I actually have ADHD. So I, I went to a psychiatrist. He wanted to put me on ADHD medication, but 
I, again, just happened to be looking through some research for school and found that ADHD medication can express epileptic activity. So I was like, I don't think I should do that. Should I go to a neurologist? He's like, no. And I was like, I think that it would be a better choice to go to a neurologist. So I did the rounds of going to a bunch of neurologists who were like, oh, you're just tired. You're too stressed. But I felt like there was something else going on. And then I happened to run across a book called Brain on Fire, which some of you who are listening might have heard about. Then there's a Netflix movie out about it. And it's about this um, young girl, Susanna Callahan, who gets put into the hospital with psychiatric disorders, only to find out that she has an autoimmune encephalopathy. And so I reached out to her because I thought I had the same kind of seizures she did. And when I reached out to her, it was in the midst of the movie premiering. And she actually got back to me, which like blows my mind. She emailed me back and she was like, I'm not actually sure what I can do for you, but here's the doctor team that I go to. So then I ran, rang the doctor team and they on the phone were like, well, why are you calling us? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I have something that maybe like, could you see me anyway? And they were so generous and fit me in. And when I sat down with my doctor, Dr. Derek Chong, who I am obsessed with, he is just such an amazing doctor. He's actually the reason that I am going back to school for medicine because I was so inspired by him. He was like, oh yeah, I think you're right. So it's kind of neat when people are like, WebMD is full of XYZ. It's not really like accurate. I'm like, you know, there is a lot of empowerment that comes from a patient knowing their own symptoms and having some hypotheses. And so that's actually how I ended up getting diagnosed. He was like, you're on the nose with what is going on. And voila, I have a rare brain disease, and I'm pretty special. It's like one in a million. Weren't you also on daytime television, like a talk show, talking about your brain disease? I did. I got to be on Good Morning America with a bunch of other people. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I've gotten to do some like really fun stuff as a patient advocate. And so you're bringing awareness to something that we all are afraid of. It's recognizing and accepting our own limitations. And how has that empowered you? How has accepting something that you couldn't change on your own empowered you to care for others? I think it shortens our experience of when we think long-term, it's like, oh, wow, who knows what's going to happen in the future? I mean, you have so much in your story about like, unknowns, uncontrollables. You just don't know. And I think it's like when you are looking into the horizon, suddenly when something like illness happens or you lose somebody that you care about, it's like everything comes really close to you and it comes, Mm -hmm. everything comes in focus. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I was like, I started meeting patients who had the same disease that I did, but had way more symptoms, are locked in, have aphasia, can't function without support, are, you know, properly disabled because of the illness And I was like, oh, my God, I'm still alive. This is amazing. I need to really do something with this blessing. And I think that's the problem with neurological stuff. We don't know if it's neurogenitive. We just have to keep moving forward. I just want to touch on something you just said and say it in a different way. Like you basically just said that your limitations led you to community. You're connecting with other people who've experienced something similar. And I think that's very akin to what you do with I'll Go First. Wow, thank you. Yeah, right? Could you tell us a little bit about I'll Go First and kind of why you started that and how that interacts with what you're doing now? I started I'll Go First because I realized that there is a power in telling our own story for ourselves. 
and how that opens the door for others, you know, much like the work you do around vulnerability. I also realized that I'll go first is more than just an invitation for others to share their stories, but also a sort of call on people's life to go first in their own healing and commit to it. I think that's the part that's really difficult. Community is so important because it reminds us to keep going. And it's something that I hope that I've cultivated with the community of Algo First. And you mentioned that, I don't think I've ever heard you say that, that it's not only an invitation, but it's a responsibility. It's like this idea that no one's coming to save you. So you ultimately have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to wait around for someone to fix me, or am I going to decide here and now that I'm going to move heaven and earth to to heal or to grow or to get where I'm trying to go? And will I get there? Who knows? But part of the journey is that self-discovery. And with you, you're saying, yes, when I tell my story, people may feel empowered to tell theirs. But also, I tell my story because I have a story to tell and I need to tell it. And so would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that? I think what you're saying about responsibility really resonates. I've often heard it said, and maybe for those of you listening, you can relate to this, where pursuing healthcare is exhausting. You're playing uh, liaison between the hospital, the like places you get your labs and scans, your doctors, and then you're just trying to have a life as well. And really pursuing healthcare is just a full-time job. And I Now I'm pursuing medicine as a practitioner. When I talk to patients from the other side of the table, it really is just exhausting. It's really hard to keep motivated and to keep going. And I think that's true with trauma as well in our mental health. You just want to kind of give up. But I think the call for I'll go first is to say, no, I will not stand down. I'm drawing a line in the sand. As for me, my household, this intergenerational trauma ends with me and I will not let my illness prevent me from living the fullest life that I can. Yeah. And I'm just at this point kind of hung up on this idea that what you experienced, this negative thing that was baffling to doctors and to yourself has ultimately set you free to pursue medicine. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I always wanted to pursue medicine when I was younger, but I decided that I wanted to find my biological family more. So I I didn't pursue medicine then. Getting the illness and coming out of the illness, I now feel a responsibility for other patients like myself to do something on behalf of them because I have a shared experience. And again, maybe for those of you listening, like I've often heard the term like you can speak the language of the oppressed Mm. and you become an expert in your own illness. And I think that's part of what's motivated me to be like, okay, I don't know how much time I have left, but I'm going to do the best that I can to cultivate it and just steward it well. Yeah. And you become a lived experience expert. Yeah. It's almost as if, follow me here. This is wild. I know. It's almost as if you are learning the art of compassion through life's adversity. Oh, you know, I've heard that there's there's really, really great podcasts. That's what I've heard. Yeah. That's what I've heard too. I think it's. Oh yeah. gosh, this guy who hosts it, he's so wise. He, I, I've heard good things. Yeah. I, he has a really good style too. Have you met him in person? I have. I have. I've I've seen him a couple of times. Yeah. He's try to check in with him. Yeah, he's great. He's great. It's called Mercy Cat. Oh, that's it. It's called Mercy Cat. Mercy Cat. And you can find it on every podcast platform. Every one of them. And so I think that's that's really for me. The most beautiful thing that I think I've learned in life is 
when the defecation hits the ventilation and we feel like there is no other way forward, we kind of lose the forest for the trees. You know, we're looking and we just feel so lost. But ultimately, that is preparing us. And it's actually, it's an education. It's an education in how to love other vulnerable people who are going through something similar. It's the things that we think disqualify us that actually qualify us to care for people. Ooh, these are some good phrases. Defecation right? hits the ventilation. I like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's how you cuss without cussing. I think you um you should write a book. I know I should. And if I did write a book, it would be called Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. But now that all the shameless plugs are out of the way. There's so many more though. We could we could come up with more. I'm seeing here, so I've just kind of been taking notes during our conversation. And so you kind of hit this wall and you took responsibility and you reached out. You reached out to this medical team and they're sitting there like, why on earth are you calling us? And you're like, I don't know. I just need answers. <laughs> That's and, pretty accurate. Yeah. And then those limitations that you were experiencing led to community. And even in a tangible way, when you were on Good Morning America, you're with several people who are all experiencing something like you and you have these people that you can depend on. And you're also letting people know around the world that if something like this is happening, you can still have hope. And there's very tangible ways to do it. I think when we talk about hope, and again, I don't know for those of you listening, I feel like when we hear hope and we're in the midst of the defecation, mm-hmm. hitting the ventilation, mm-hmm. it can feel so esoterical. And I kind of like, well, I mean, that's like trying to see air how do you even how do you see air how do you do that i don't see air do you see air i don't see air don't see air yeah so i think it's about getting really really logistical and practical about it so now you're studying to be a doctor yep and i don't even know what kind of doctor we haven't had this conversation so what kind of doctor do you want to be well i am a freshman again at university so i'm with 18 year olds Freshman day bad there? It's pretty bad. I have, you know, been like, oh my gosh, I remember bullying. This is wild. I'm old enough to be your mom and I am feeling like angry that you're bullying me right now. And it's funny, ironic, you know, having been a speaker at that university as well. And now I'm like sitting in the chairs with these young people and hoping that they'll pick me for their study buddy. It's a wild transition. I'm going to be 40 in May. So like, It really is. I am with these young teenagers being like, please, can I have your notes? And as you're preparing, how do you think your experience is going to shape what you do when you become a doctor? I think that I will end up pursuing psychiatry and neurology or a combination of both having worked in the mental health space for so long. My husband's like, will you do dermatology so you can give me my hair back? And I am like, I, it is tempting. It is tempting. I think that having a lived experience can be a good thing and a bad thing. And I I wonder like your thoughts on this actually, because I can be triggering to have this lived experience. Yeah. It's ultimately a choice of the individual, right? Not everyone has to end up doing as a vocation what they experienced, whether it's trauma or family of origin issues. They, they don't have to find their place of employee in those things. However, 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 they can choose that. And it's ultimately however we feel empowered. If we're at a place where we're like, I have something to say and I want to encourage people, then that might be part of the story that we tell. 
But some people may bring some of those principles that they've learned and some of the lessons that they've learned through their own healing journey into something new, and it may manifest itself in a completely different way. Yeah, that's true. I think for me, with what I hope I am with patients is fiercely an advocate. I am now in my own life. I'm pretty tenacious. Like I will find, if I don't know somebody, I know somebody who knows somebody. You're tenacious? What? Yes, I am. And I do not like injustice. I especially don't like bullies. So I will find a way where there is no way. As someone who has known you for quite a long time, I would agree to that. Nothing holds you back for too long. Wow, thanks, Nothing holds you back for too long. And if something knocks you down, you're like, you know what? I'm frustrated. I'm going to feel my feelings, even though I don't like feelings. They're not my favorite, but I'm going to feel them. And I am going to figure this out. And figuring this out, maybe I'm going to take six months and just sit. Mm, That's true. Yeah, that's so important, that rest part. Yeah, because I found like, and that's something where you and I have encouraged each other because we've both gone through things in the last 10 years that were heavy enough to knock us down. But there are those moments where we both kind of look at each other and just be like, just sit in this. It's okay. Yeah. Don't deny it. Accept what's happening. But I think there's an active rest. There's Mm -hmm. a way to be active in it. I think pursuing therapy. Absolutely. Getting community because I think otherwise I've had times in my life where I've just been like, sitting in it and then I get depressed. Yeah. Isolation and silence don't necessarily help me. (laughs) Yeah. Because something, if I go through something and I'm like, you know what? I just got to go figure this out. Going to figure it out by myself may not be the best option. Maybe I have to go sit with someone else and be like, hey, the next couple of weeks might be a little dicey. I just, I have some questions. I just need someone to help me process. Or like also just sit there with you and be okay. And I hope that I'm learning how to be that person for other people, but I think that takes time, especially having worked in this business and for people who are listening who are like, I, I really hate suffering and I want to act in suffering, but being able to tolerate someone else's suffering and letting them come to terms with what they want to do next, that's a hard lesson and balance to have. Well, and it can be tricky because of things like compassion fatigue. If someone is going through something and it's very intense, that can kind of blow back on us and Sometimes rather than sitting with that person, we can want to push them away. And it's more about us than them. And I think one of the key parts of focusing on your own healing and caring for yourself and focusing on your own resiliency is it frees us to love our neighbor. It frees us to love that person who's also going through something. I was with Dr. Dan Allender for a few workshops and series. I did his narrative therapy storytelling, and he's brilliant. I'm sure people listening right now love him. I'm He's incredible. He's like a walking sage. Literally everything that comes out of your mouth, you're like, I need to write that down. And during that training, I remember him saying, when someone is crying, if you're in a therapeutic situation, when someone's crying, don't hand them tissue. They need to get the tissue themselves because handing them tissue or comforting them truncates their experience and their space. You're kind of saying like, I can't tolerate you in this way, suffering this way in this moment. Can you please have a tissue? I thought that was really interesting. Oh, that's really I think there's good. a balance for sure. But I think there is something about like, I remember there's this phrase in entrepreneurship, you know, we're both in our own way, social entrepreneurs as well, running these organizations. You know, when you get to the tops in the elevator back down, I remember someone being like, oh, but you need to get them in the elevator. And I'm like, no, that's like when Jesus is like, get up and walk. He's not going to pick you up. You have to do the action. 
No, that's really good. And it's so easy for so many of us to wait for things to get better without actively waiting. Mm, That's good. What does that mean for you, actively waiting? I think it's recognizing that you might be in a, a holding pattern, but doing what you can during it. And that might mean you're trying to focus on your health so that when you come out of that holding pattern, you're ready to go. That could mean you're taking a deeper look at yourself. But yeah, it's I like the idea of active waiting because it gives us an area of focus. And, you know, speaking of focus, as you've shared your story of facing down your limitations and how that has empowered you to care for others who are facing theirs, what are three things that you can tell us? You don't have to have three. You could have one, two, three. Like for those of us who are facing our own physical limitations and we don't know what to do, what are three things that you could tell us that could possibly help us process through that? I think that your story is valuable. It's important. I hear people say to me sometimes, because I'll go first one storytelling workshops, please go to our website and apply that. I don't have a story to tell. I'm like, no, you have a story to tell. And part of the importance of becoming your own self-advocate is recognizing that you have a story to tell and taking up space. I think it's also about committing to your own healing, even when you don't want to, calling all these doctors and being responsible for them to send labs and all that. That can feel really frustrating, but you have to commit to your own healing because you owe it to yourself. If you're someone who is ill, I believe you owe it to yourself and also to patients who don't have advocates. And I think... I'm not sure what the last one would be. I think those are probably my my most important ones. No, that's solid gold. And so, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. If you are interested in more conversations like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. We want to hear from you, so you can email us at info at mercycast.com. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.